We ain't repeating the past, we beating them fast, straight cheating the class like a millennial eating an ass. Brain slick precipice of anime shit. Watching caddy chips with improbable tits and ten story microphone robot fits, grabbing our thick, sick, slick tentacle dicks. Killing it, son. We don't need a pulse rifle. Chilling at home, getting white foods to fight you with mail or sword. Getting ready to slice and dice you. Running through Japan like a motherfucking typhoon. Is that too soon? We know you need this. You better believe this. Welcome to You Better Believe It, and that's the title we're going to go with. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the 2001 Weebfest Cowboy Bebop the Movie, a.k.a. Goku no Tubira, Knocking on Heaven's Door, by Shinichiro Watanabe, and good lord, what is happening in Cowboy Bebop, Nate Rigolia. <laughs> hey, Sean, how are you? Good, good. How's it going? Oh, it's good, it's good. We got a, a, a temperate fall day today after it being uh, cold and snowy for three days straight this week, so. Yeah, we got one. It's about 60. 61, I guess? Yeah, we, we, we're about 65 today, which is nice. Yeah, uh, forgive us if we've got random dog barks in the background. We're all still situating our dog issues, so oh, that yeah. might pick up. But I don't think it's a good podcast unless somebody's scurrying a dog out of the room. No way, a dog has to, yeah, all of my favorite podcasts have dogs involved. <laughs> Can you hear and, one of mine? Yeah, just barely. Okay. So, just vamp for a second. Okay, great. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I have a lot of experience with Cowboy Bebop from watching it in college, that's where I got introduced. Um, it was one of those things that my uh, my friend at the time and roommate Derek, who was a big Japanophile guy, was like, hey, you got to check this out. And I was like, oh, I've never really been into anime. It kind of, I don't know, creeped me out before. I didn't really know what to think of it. So I started watching the show. And, uh, you know, subsequently I bought all six DVDs of that uh, collection of the show, you know, uh, from the classic days when DVDs had four episodes of something on them. And that was an achievement of uh, disc space in hard medium. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so I, I, I really like the show, and uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to talk about the differences, maybe, between the show and the film, because the, they are pretty different, despite sharing the same name and same characters. Yeah, I think uh, we'll get into it, probably, but especially the difference in the portrayal of Spike in the movie versus the TV show is completely different. I mean, he retained some of his kind of like old school noir detective cool, but kind of like his inner monologue and the different side of Spike you get in the movie is something interesting as compared to the show. Yeah, I, well, I would. It's interesting because it, it the show was such a a brilliantly done ensemble, and the movie focuses so much on Spike and kind of casts everybody else aside. They're all sort of in in and out for little bits that don't necessarily add much to anything. Um, which is, which is why I, I mean, I, I'm just going to say it now. This, this movie is like, the script is ripping off Blade Runner. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty clearly like, Hey, Blade Runner was a good idea. Let's use these characters with that story. Well, and that's pretty much what we get. It's just a much sunnier world than Blade Runner. Yeah. And I think, um, 
it's not atypical in anime, at least the ones I've seen, for them to be heavily influenced by Western movies, TV, pop culture, and I think uh, a lot of the creators would say the same. Nate, did you know that this movie came out about 10 days before September 11th? Oh, wow. Yeah, see, I, what I researched when I was watching it was the, uh, the timeline for the, the Tokyo subway gas attacks that happened, um, which I assumed was an influence on them for this, and that was in 1995. Right. So I am, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised it came out that, that close to September 11th and that, I guess, well, it came out before, right? So it wasn't... Yeah, about 10 days. Yeah. I think there was a bit of a hubbub about it, but they did a small investigation that turned out that Jet Black can't melt steel beams. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Jet's not even in the movie, really. He is barely in the movie. If you weren't familiar with the show, you would have no idea about this guy's character, except he is like the grizzled ex-cop type. But he's also, he's the, like, he's the yang or yin to Spike's whatever the opposite is, right? Yeah. He's the, he's the guy who believes in, like, hey, law and order can be a thing, and this can be, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're on the fringes, but we still have to do things the right way, whereas Spike seems to always be devil may care about everything. Yeah, and he uh, also uh, tends to function as the surrogate dad for the waifs and strays that the crew is. Right, your your Ed, who I always forget is is a girl. Yeah, is Ed retarded? Like, I, what is Ed's okay. deal specifically? I think I think Ed is like a commentary on a uh, hyperactive uh, American computer hacker kid, right? Like, Ed comes from the same cloth that the movie Hackers was cut from. The idea that like hackers were people who wore like uh, surfer clothes had hideous, absurd hair, and were just kind of hyper-energetic, wearing, you know, rollerblades to get around and constantly shrieking. I, that, that's my best guess. Yeah, if this movie came out, or the show had come out in the last few years, I would think that Ed was kind of a direct allusion to Asperger's Syndrome, because just her, her and I'm gonna, I'll probably do that a couple times, her lack of being able to communicate really effectively, and just some of her odd mannerisms, like, it, it's like so far beyond eccentric at some points, especially in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the movie, it's, it, it she, well, in the, uh, he, she, she, she. T- tends to be, she tends to be like the Penny character from, from Inspector Gadget. Right. You know, popping up to give that little bit of information you need, and she kind of does that in the movie, but to really almost no effect, because she only really interacts with Faye, right? And then that's all kind of filler storyline yeah and i think uh canonically if i recall the movie takes place between episode 25 and 26 or 26 and 27 i don't remember exactly how many episodes there are oh okay interesting so yeah yeah i didn't know that that kind of makes it make a little more sense right but but yeah i (laughs) i i enjoyed the movie for the most part but I did there there was a, a stretch in the middle of about twenty five minutes where I was just like, okay, I'm I'm kinda zoning out. Um yeah. it, it feels like it's something that was a two episode long story that they were like, Hey, we gotta stretch this to two hours somehow. Yeah, it is for an animated movie, and I know uh Japanese animated movies tend to be a little bit longer, but if you're used to kind of Western animated movies, this is going to feel eternal because I think it is right at two hours. There might be Two hours and a minute, or as uh, our friend TJ would say, 201 minutes, which is wrong. 
<laughs> well, and I I didn't have I didn't have a beef with the runtime exactly, but it was sort of the I guess I just because all of the side characters go on these side stories that sort of uh, they branch off and they end pretty abruptly. And there wasn't like a B story in the movie, I don't think. I mean, I, I didn't feel like there was. It was sort of, okay, who's who's this Vincent guy? What's he doing? How do we stop? Yeah, they've got a, they seem to have a, a pretty big hard-on for the letter V in that series. Because if you would have mm-hmm. asked me, and I think this is probably my fourth time seeing the movie. Um, if you would have asked me who the antagonist of the movie was, I would have said Vicious just because it's another V. But it's actually a character cut... Uh, from the made from whole cloth for the movie Vincent Volu, yeah, which I I would have thought using vicious would have made all of this more resonant, right? Right. But they but they go with a completely new guy who pretty much is it's the same sort of backstory too, unless I'm off base there. No, no, no like, I think you're right. Like I haven't gone through the show in quite a while, right? But yeah, I think it's pretty similar. Yeah, because I think, like, Spike and Vicious and... I can't remember Spike's uh, paramour's name. Um, But... I could look it up. (laughs) They, you know, they they all seem to be the product of some sort of uh, super soldier program that's like this, right? Because Spike is a super soldier, too. He's just not brainwashed. Julia is uh, Spike's girlfriend. Yeah. Okay. I don't, because I, again, I'd have to go back and watch the show, and I'm sure people at home that would be listening are furiously pounding their keyboards. I remember Spike and Vicious being part of, like, a Chinese triad or something. Oh, it, okay, yeah, that's right. They were, they were just in the, they were just in the mob. It wasn't a super soldier thing. Right. But yeah, Spike, Spike nearly died getting out. It was a whole thing. Okay. That but, makes more sense. Yeah, but if you... We're not familiar with the characters again from the television show. You would think Spike was some kind of super soldier because he is like unstoppable in the movie. Oh yeah, he 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 goes through everything. I mean, he, he he's basically like a Daniel Craig James Bond mixed with, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, Mary Lou Retton. <laughs> <laughs> Weird poll, but I like it. <laughs> um, yeah. So so okay. So the Vincent thing. He's he's basically he's a, he's a pissed off he's he's Roy Batty, right? Somebody somebody took him, experimented on him, made him into this thing. He's unhappy with it. He's going crazy because he's seeing shadowy butterflies everywhere, and he can't tell which reality is which. And yeah, so and he just wants to destroy everything. Uh, and he comes from Mars, the same as the replicants, at least in the book, do. Okay, and we got we to gotta talk about that for a second, too, which is uh, the show spends so much time traveling to these different moons and societies and planets, and the movie stays pretty much entirely on Earth the entire time, which yeah, I thought except, was really Except for the good. end. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't know if it's just a function of them trying to tell a contained story, and they felt like bouncing around too much would be too much for the audience, or if they're not especially trying to reach the audience for the show. But yeah, the the fact that, especially with animation, because it's not really a budget constraint to draw somewhere else. Like, in a regular movie, you'd figure, okay, one location, they're trying to save some money. But this was fairly expensive, and it's animated, so you could literally do whatever you want. So yeah, the the kind of, like, A and pretty much only story, 
of tracking down the lymphocytes. Yeah, it does kind of ground it a bit in a way that you wouldn't expect. And right. Bebop has always been kind of like the least bizarre of the major anime. Like, it's always been kind of the most grounded, but still, I mean, it's pretty fantastical. Oh, sure. I mean, if, if nothing else, they just, you know, uh, they would they would go pretty much anywhere. And, and, you know, I mean, every episode of the show was pretty much them going after an individual bounty. And those bounties varied, right, from like a crazy, uh, obese French mime clown guy that seems to be on on PCP <laughs> to like just kidnapping, well, to, to kidnapping I'm the Corgi. Um, uh, but they would go places. And this, and, and what struck me was you have two hours and they barely go anywhere when the, I mean, the show is named after the ship that Jet owns <laughs> that no right. one, <laughs> that they spend only like the first <laughs> 10 minutes on too, uh, aside from a little bit in the middle. Uh, yeah, I was just I was surprised at how at how much of kind of a bottle bottle episode it was to you know it wasn't really a bottle episode but you know for for like you said the lack of limitations it was sort of odd. Now, do you think that because the movie itself is kind of a commentary on ennui and boredom, that's why it's like that? Because there's we spend a lot of time with the characters just bored out of their skulls while literally the most amazing things are happening in their orbit. Like, it's true. That... It's very yawn heavy. Yeah. Everybody, everybody is yawning their way through major action sequences, which, I mean, I always took that to mean like, Hey, they're so badass that this, this is boring for them. Yeah. I'm not sure. I didn't know if it was that, or it was just kind of a direct, like, um, allusion to the fact that like, no matter what's going on, it's the person that causes boredom, not the situation. Because, I mean, it's a theme that we'll see, I'm sure, as we go through more of these uh, movies and TV shows or however we do it, and we've talked about it before offline. Yeah. That the nothing ever happens trope is very heavy, in, especially in this genre of animation, and that's usually the inciting incident to the most, like, absurd things ever happening around them. Oh, yeah. I mean, it. it's... Uh... Yeah, he, they they do. They spend a lot of time. It's this boredom with, hey, we're on a spaceship and we have to eat noodles. And this is really right. boring for me. What is the unit price point on that cup of noodle, do you think? The self-heating, possibly digital cup of noodle? In in in, in Yulongs? Yeah, how many Yulongs is that cup of noodle? Because it seems impossibly expensive. I, yeah, I, I feel like they're spending 10000 a pop or something. It's like... It, it's absurd. I mean, I, I would love to have one of those. Yeah, it, 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 great tech, great tech uh, draw in there because that that was one of the more interesting things they added that I don't remember that being in the show. No, I don't. In in the show, really, like it's kind of one of those, um, like a Batman the Animated Series kind of, and I'm blanking on the word, which since we're this publishing company is embarrassing, uh, anachronistic kind of shows. Like they do have spaceships. But they're using, you know, like, 50s and 60s model handguns. The dress, for the most part, is kind of like noir to 60s era, except for whatever Jet's wearing most of the time. Yeah, and Jet's really just wearing, like, a... a I mean, because Jet will, will wear a, a traditional trench coat and fedora when right. he goes undercover in the show. But yeah, otherwise he just... He has metal shoulder pads. And I think robot legs. 
Yeah, and as well as the one robot arm. Or uh, yeah. Did you watch the dub or did you watch the subtitle version? I watched I watched the dub because I watched the dub version of the of all the episodes of the show and they kept all the voices and yeah. that's actually why I think Jet's not in it. Oh. The same guy that does Jet's voice does Vincent's voice. Okay. And I I think it was maybe it was like a paid by scale thing. It's just like, hey, look, you're you're gonna be you got this many lines. We're not gonna we're not gonna have you do double duty on this because there's really very little differentiation between the two voices anyway. Yeah, that's something I was talking to Marcus about with Akira the other day. I'm so attached to the dub because it was the first thing I saw that it's it would seem odd to go back to the original cast recording. Oh yeah, yeah. I I mean I you know I'm used to that Spike voice and that weird you know Ed voice and the and the Faye voice. You know they're they're all part of it because I actually well I started watching it with with subtitles and then I just I don't know I was like no I gotta I gotta watch this the way that I've always experienced it because it really i have an attachment to the characters from that and it's one of the better it's one of the better voice casting jobs that i've seen in an anime film yeah where where the voices match up to the to the illustrations well that way yeah i'm a big fan of the stephen blum spike voice and it could be just familiarity but i I really kind of enjoy that that kind of lazy noir private detective voice he does yeah, because he's just, he's a burnout cop, you know? He's yeah. the, he's tired. I don't know how old he's supposed to be. He's anywhere between 35 and 60, I think. <laughs> um, and he and he changes yeah. his behavior. <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll act 35 sometimes, and then he'll act 60 sometimes. Yeah, we haven't talked about the plot of the movie whatsoever. Did you want to do a quick rundown of the plot? Let me, yeah, you're gonna, you're probably gonna have to fill in a little bit, but... That's fine. Uh, I mean, it's there's not a whole lot going on. I mean, there's there's an explosion in Mars. They believe it's some kind of chemical weapon. There's a bounty posted on Big Shot for was it 300 million Wulons? Yes. The Bebop crew goes to track it down. Yeah, they 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 basically they they start out trying to track down this hacker. I think. Right. That's Faye's story. Yeah, Faye's trying to track down this hacker. She stumbles upon that terrorist attack. Right? Yeah. Or am I jumbling this? Okay. She stumbles upon the terrorist attack, uh, and then they take the bounty on on Vincent, who or you know who turns out to be Vincent, and and then it's a very long pursuit of that through uh, various kinds of ethnic stereotype towns or yeah. s- subtowns. Let's put it on Front Street. Japan isn't known for their kind of uh, cultural sensitivity. Oh yeah, no. They, comes they, the rest they, they went hard at the Middle Eastern bizarre and and standard kind of Arab stereotypes. Yeah, because Spike basically walks through the scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like it's like that. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. But people carrying baskets. Yeah, you 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 would think that. I mean, maybe a maybe a, a monkey did jump onto his shoulder at some point. I don't I don't <laughs> remember that, but it yeah, it was that kind of thing. Yeah, so one of these uh, hard Middle Eastern stereotypes, the Sala uh, type, if you would, gives Spike a vase, <laughs> which he has un- he has no clue why he received this vase. You know, come to find out later on, Ed climbs into it and finds the small marble, which they're using to uh, disperse the what they think is a virus, but is actually nanotechnology. Right. So, okay, so here's the thing about the vase. 
How does no one hear a marble rolling around in a vase? Yeah, that you'd think that would be the first thing. Cause I mean, you, you would think just carrying it for any period of distance would lead you to go, oh, there's something in here. Maybe they taped it down. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there had to be a less obvious way to transport this thing than in this, like, man-sized vase, but whatever. I mean, I'm not going to draw the weirdness line at that. It does stick out a little bit, like you said, that there's one marble rattling around in the bottom of the base, and we're not sure of the structural integrity of these marbles to begin with, so maybe it just leave it, at, like, vary. banging around in there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you can you can play Chinese checkers with them, or you can just, like, tap on one and it breaks, right. and, and that doses everything in... Forever, I guess. I mean, it doesn't seem like even the contents dissipate. No, and then... Um, I started echoing for a second. Okay. Hopefully. Seems like it fixed. Yeah, they. that's basically your movie. They're chasing Vincent down uh, with the sort of help of his ex-Special Forces squad mate, Elektra. Right. Who, again, is like... Uh, introducing another new character who's you know i don't know like what's what's her deal other than they're gonna have like a meet cute where they fight each other because she's like hanging out with this pharmaceutical military operation but then she's defecting yeah pfizer is the villain right. of the movie yeah. just like in real life so putting but yeah i guess she's there to give spike somebody to attempt to fuck that's not Faye. Yeah, I guess, but then nothing, you know, nothing happens. The the weird there's there's no romantic subplot in this story. But there is so much weight put on love at the end of it. Yeah. That that I I I really I I watched the end. I went back and I re-listened to Vincent's dying monologue. And I was just like, "Oh, what?" <laughs> it's uh, you know, uh, Vincent apparently had been in love with Electra. This whole time, and it's yes. only it's only the the recognition of her suddenly at the end that allows him to decide not to shoot Spike or her, and to just let himself be killed. But I mean, at this point, shooting Spike seems totally useless because he's like fifty cent by the end of the movie. He's taken like oh yeah, he's several been, bullets. I, I I made a note in here also that uh, that Vincent has lung fu grip because when they fight on the train. On the, like, monorail thing, he, yeah. he seems to grab Spike's lung through his jacket. Yeah, I think directly, because he definitely comes up with a fistful of blood. Yeah, blood and Spike's gasping, and I was like, what? Holy shit, what? <laughs> like, that, that, was, it was, that was an intense uh, and strange moment, to say the least. Can we talk about uh, Vincent's, the actor's vocal performance for Vincent? Because I found it sort of distracting. I don't know if it's the voice or some of the shit they gave him to say or both, but it's super theatrical. and Because I'm it was used... like Christian Bale's Batman voice? Yeah, and I'm used to like silly anime villains, but usually the rest of the cast is also super silly, but the Bebop crew isn't, so it kind of stuck out to me a bit. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. It was, it was, it was hard to listen to, and it just... It was this like it was this grumpy, guttural, sad guy whisper scream the entire time. Yeah, the 
is there really a line between sanity and insanity, an indelible line? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Like, hold up a second. I'm going to dump some exposition on you in my Yeah, yeah the, the reveal of Vincent's backstory is super clumsy. And like you said, it's all just like, it's like they forgot to do it and just dumped it all out at once. It's like, and you get his whole story in like two minutes from a lecture. And it's weird. Yeah, okay, so that's, I mean, that's part of my issue with it is is that middle part of the movie where they're unraveling this mystery, but instead of, I mean, it, it, this really could have been compelling if they unraveled all of his backstory throughout the, throughout the center of the film, but instead they just sort of figure out where he is and where he's going to be attacking. And then, yeah. and then suddenly, like you said, there's just this expo dump at the end where he's like, and these are all the reasons why I did this because I lived like this and this happened to me. And it's like, you know what would have been cool is if maybe Jet had a B story where he went and looked at the records that he can get access to as a former police detective or whatever and get this information from some back channel thing rather than it just being like, oh, hey, and, and here's why. Yeah, and you're, and they, I think they made that attempt with um, the scene – where he's at the drive-in movie with the ex-cop, but I was so high I didn't even realize that that scene had started and I had no idea what was going on because it just cuts to, you know, oh, that's the way to do it back in the day, the old sheriffs, which, like, I get as a theme for Jet, but you spend so little time with him that it's it's totally perfunctory. It doesn't yeah. matter once oh, I, that scene's over. But I love I love that. I love that 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 setting. Yes, that was so cool. This this massive, multi-tiered drive-in parking garage theater thing. It was that that was really effective, and I, and yeah, I, I agree. I wish they would have used that better because it did. I I kind of forgot it was in there, and they really it glossed over something. It was just sort of oh hey, he's talking to his buddy about the old days. Great. Yeah, uh, another curious vocal performance I think is. Um... The hacker whose name escapes me. Do you remember off the top of my head what the character's name was? Ah, crap. No. I'm going to look it up, though. <laughs> okay. Because he has this heavy kind of, like, almost Manchester accent, and it's fucking hysterical. Unintentionally. Well, and he... It, yeah, and he's kind of a... It's a weird... He's, he's a he's weird like, character. He is, because he's supposed to be the kind of, like, prototypical nebbish hacker... But he's also a complete sociopath, which doesn't really line up that well. Yeah, I agree. It was sort of, well, yeah, it didn't. Because he legit just murdered somebody in cold blood. He's like, oh, that guy's dead. So he's, he's Michael Caine. He's black hacking Michael Caine. Yeah, pretty much. Well, okay. And it, what confused me is it, when we first see the hacker, I think. He's just trying to hack this thing for Vincent, right? He's he's sitting he's sitting on the side of the truck and he seems to be he he seemed to me to be like the patsy guy yeah. for most of it until until the cold-blooded murder. And then of course he is cold-bloodedly murdered with with the execution. Right. But I think there's also a second Patsy in play because there's the other guy that I don't know the landlord or whatever that Vincent shoots. Oh yeah, yeah. Lee Sampson, 
Lee okay. Sampson is the hacker's name, who supposedly, Sampson. I mean, according to this Cowboy Bebop wiki, 17 years old, five foot six, 209 pounds. That is, uh, that's a thick boy. Yeah, I think he, uh, I think he would have been a little rounder. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know where they get the height and weight. Like, I don't know what level of nerd you are that you're trying to figure their height and weight from the animation. But, I mean, God bless them. Right. Uh, there's there's also, like, just a lot of things that might be kind of nitpicky, but they start to pile up after a while. There is that scene where Faye's like, hands where I can see him. And he spends, what, 20 minutes typing into his belt? Yeah. So, is, uh, nobody, is... nobody takes Faye seriously in this movie. I feel, I feel really. So I, I have a, I have a conflict about the way Faye is treated, especially in this movie, because she, yes, she is, she just sort of stumbles upon the main storyline, and then when she gets the chance to track Samson down, she just ends up not really getting anywhere with that, and then eventually being held captive and. Yeah, it's we'll right. get to that, I think, in a minute. But, um, I mean, we'll just put it on Front Street. Faye is fucking useless in the movie. Right. Like you said, she kind of stumble fucks her way around. Ed finds out where Vincent is. And Faye just kind of stands around there waiting to get kidnapped. Yeah, she's just waiting there. And then, and then, you, have, and then you have this weird... Vincent cuts her shirt open. Yeah. But... And and I think the implication is is that he's going to rape her, but then he doesn't do anything because maybe he's become asexual from his soldier training, oh, you or think something. Dick fell off. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that would make him more efficient, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, um, I think it would make most of us more efficient. <laughs> but but it okay because because you and I have talked before a little bit about the the uh, perhaps some of the thesis of this podcast will be figuring out if if there are. Uh, Sort of Japanese cultural psychoses born into these into these films. Yes, and this movie has a handful of instances of women being nearly naked, but to the safely censored level, but clearly extremely vulnerable. And that there's like there are these there are these very I feel like they're intended to be very erotic beats when these things happen. When oh, Vincent, uh, when Vincent slices his knife up. It is one. It's like it's like an erection rising because he slices from his belt toward down, you know, from her belly up toward her face. Yeah, and then her shirt pops open just enough that you have cleavage displayed, nothing else, but this clear sense that she has been robbed of her agency and her sense of safety. Yeah, it is a uh, super liminal, as our friend Lieutenant LT Smash would say, like. <laughs> There's nothing the so about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I and as we go through these movies, we're gonna deal with a lot of weird quasi or full on rapes probably, and that's something we're gonna have to just accept and roll with. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing that's going to be I think that's gonna be really interesting to talk about, especially in in, in light of the times. Right, but it's um, it's it's weird in this case because it's incongruent to the character prior right he doesn't have any he seems to be completely disinterested in anything but this terror plot right he is he is mechanically disposing of anybody who is in his way or who could get in his way and then suddenly he's like hey i'm gonna push you down on the floor 
and we're just going to cut your shirt open. And then I'm going to kind of step back, and we'll pretend like that didn't happen. Yeah, and Faye, and again, it's been a while since I saw the show, she wasn't like a complete moron up until the movie, right? She had some kind of lobotomy between that and the last episode of the show. Or I guess she doesn't. She's in, is she even in the last episode of the show? Because I think she leaves. Yeah, gosh, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember if she was in the last episode or not. Uh, you know, she was. So she kind of in in the show. She kind of resembled the the more uh, uh, over the top anime style character. Uh, like the way that, say, uh, Team Rocket responds to things in Pokemon. Right. Or it's like, you know, overblown reactions with giant eyes and then, you know, weird sound cue that means, oh, no, she's going to fall over and then she falls over. Um, that seemed to happen more with Faye, I think, in the show. Uh, but she also was sort of this, like, she was this secret badass and there were lots of episodes focused on just her going and pursuing something and succeeding at it. She always came across as in to me as kind of like a disaffected rich kid. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Like that type, that. not necessarily that distinct background, because that's actually Ed's background, right? Right. But, <laughs> but that kind of like the kind of bored Mae West, like like a like a twenties actress, kind of. Yeah, that I, I think that's perfect. She is. She's like she's like a twenties noir uh, femme fatale character. Yeah, and and it, it, at least in the show, they treated her as at least for the first few episodes she was in, they treated her like, okay, she's going to come in and she's going to pretend to help, and then she's going to totally, you know, turn coat on him and go go another direction and take the money and run. Um, and then at some point she kind of redeems herself and joins the family, uh, but but she was always sort of outside of it too, and 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 yeah, it was just. It was. It was a. It was a weird treatment because they. The way they left Jet out was one thing, but to have her in, but so ineffectual the entire time, and then just such a, the, piece of scenery for everybody to chew against was kind of, I mean, it was it was disappointing. So does Vincent give her that uh, dead alive esque blood mouth kiss specifically to give her the antibodies? Or is that just a side effect that he tries to take advantage of later? Like, I'm not sure what his uh, sexual motivation is in these scenes because they're fucking strange. And like you said, they're totally, just totally incongruent to him in the rest of the movie. I I think that I think you hit it on uh, on the first first point. It, it's got to be that he knows that if he passes his blood along, he is going to inoculate people. I mean that because because he does that to Electra as well, right? On purpose. Well, Later. I I guess I was under the impression that Electra was immune to it from being in whatever that unit oh. they were in the War on Titan, and it didn't matter. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense that she would have just been. So yeah, maybe he just did that because I don't know. Maybe he thought, oh well, Faze, she's not a problem for me. Right. Which which is even that's additionally distressing because that means oh she's not even she's a non-factor to the villain. Yeah, I almost feel like the writer of the movie was like, oh man, I got two broads and I don't know what to do. They both can't do shit, so we got to like knock one out for a while. Well, and they do. They both serve the same function in the story. Right. There, it, it's it's written as a it's written basically as a two-hander, buddy cop movie <laughs> between. Yeah. 
you know, your devil may care guy and your and your former pharmaceutical security officer, and and they and they keep trying to make something for Faye to do and then something for Electra to do, and neither of them really have anything to do other than chase after Spike or or uh, fight him or I guess follow him. That's about it. Let's talk about Spike for a minute. Um, I want to talk about his character model, just in general, because when I first started watching the show and the movie, like, it took me a while to warm up to that kind of, like, angular loop in the third, like, absurdly thin, um, like, hobtail boot thing he's got going on. But I think it works really well in the fight scenes. Your thoughts? I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I so, it... He is he is at at first a really weird character of a person. He's got you know he's got pointy elongated features, you know, rail thin legs everything. And but I think you're absolutely spot on. It, it's it's when you get those those kicks and things because he he does some pretty spectacular martial arts moves, and those those things showcase because he he basically is like Mister. Mr. Fantastic, I guess. Like, he can kind of... He's got, like, four to eight-foot-long legs at any point and just throw them out. Um, the hair thing was always what bothered me about him, though. Because <laughs> it just didn't make any sense. Like, I, I couldn't get my head around what that hair was. Yeah, and he smokes a lot. And oh, like... he's constantly smoking. <laughs> like, I thought I was bad, but... It's again because it's not something you see that much anymore. But I mean, that motherfucker never stops smoking. Yeah, no. It seems like he's he like he enters the bazaar. He lights up. He talks to this guy. He lights up. Like he's about to die, and he lights up. Yeah. Well, he tries to, and it the rain it, soaks it, and that's it. But yeah, it's fucking pouring on the Millennium Bridge or whatever that is that they're on. Yeah, at the end when a. Uh, they execute planned Joker from the Tim Burton Batman movie. Yes. Well, that's okay. So I, I had a couple of moments where, so I already brought up the Blade Runner thing. Yeah. There's also definitely a total recall thing going on here. Oh, hundred percent. It's, it's very Philip K. Dick heavy. And then and, you, and then and you, you know, also... we, we love a heavy dick. Oh yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> But you also have okay, in the in the very beginning, it starts on this following following an exceptionally uh, long, just a plethora of title cards of yeah. all different kinds. What we get is this weird kind of dreamy sequence that seems to be about the nature of reality. I mean, it's, we're establishing the theme. But the first yeah. thing I thought of was, oh, it. Did Christopher Nolan see this and rip this part off for Inception? Just that opening part. Because it's about what you remember and why you remember it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Jonathan Nolan's seen this movie a couple times. So so there was that. And then the other Nolan thing I had in here, too, is there, uh, you know, they have that fight on the train. And, the, and, and I thought of Batman Begins immediately because I was like, oh, he's delivering a toxin on a, you know... Yeah. On an elevated railway. Interesting. Right. And let's not gloss over this too much, but the action beats in this movie are excellent. Like, the choreography, all of the animation is fantastic. Oh, there's, not, yeah. there's not a bummer scene in two hours. 
no, no, this is this is a beautifully executed movie. And the only my only beef is that it 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 is plot light in the middle. Yeah, a little bit. I, I mean, it's not terribly, but it's just enough where it's like, okay, I get it. You're gonna. F- we're going to fly around for a little bit. Cool. There's, just a, there's a lot of wheel spinning. And again, if it's intentional to show boredom in the characters, I get it. But like you've alluded to earlier, if we spent 15 minutes with Vincent not uh, either raping Faye or trying to poison people, maybe you get something out of it. Because he's almost not in the movie unless he's directly in conflict with Spike uh, dealing with Faye. Those are his two modes. Yeah, it it this this movie could have been, cause I this movie could have been thirty percent better if they spent the first ten minutes to twenty minutes of the movie establishing who Vincent was on Mars during the war. Right. If we watched them and we watched him be heroic, then seeing him later would be like, oh shit, I totally get. It. And then you feel bad when he when he dies at the end. Right. More because- so than yeah. Yeah, you're right, because it's meant to be a sympathetic villain, and when you know his backstory, it would be, but you spend no time with him, and the shit that he's done while you've been with him is so awful that yeah, it's he, hard to engender any kind of sympathy for the character. Yeah, he he presumably kills dozens of people in a truck explosion on a major highway. He <laughs> tries to kill and rape Faith or Faye. He tries to kill Spike, and then, yeah, and then at the end, he's just trying to pretty much dose everybody in the world. Yeah. yeah. Nate, who's a bigger Jesus allegory in this movie? Is it Vincent or is it Spike? Because in the last fight, they both get stigmata. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Vincent gets the classic through the hand job and Spike gets the spear of destiny wound. Nate, I put it to you. Who's more Jesus-y? It's, it's Spike. And, uh, and I'll tell you why. Spike is definitely our... Uh, he is he is like Jesus called to a to a, a higher purpose that he doesn't actually want. Um, you know, the beginning of the movie, he and Jet have a go, have a conversation that's centered entirely around the conflict between order and chaos. Spike represents chaos at the beginning of the movie. He he comes to he has his come to Jesus moment where he decides like, oh, I have to be the guy to do the right thing this time. And Vincent, on the other hand, is I, – I mean Vincent's kind of your, your Lucifer, right? He's, he's the fallen angel. He's the guy who – he fought for the cause, but he was broken by it, and he can only be redeemed by – yeah, I mean by God, I guess. I'm not, I'm not as religious as I could be, so I might be pulling some of that, but – Well, I don't think there's any accident that he looks the way he does. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, he's he's grown his hair out. He's got the beard. He doesn't have any. He doesn't have any number of friends or followers, though. He does not, but he keeps executing them, so that could be part of it. Um, Spike also uh, incidentally kills four or five federal troops in his uh, his chase with the what is his ship called? The hummingbird, the songbird, the, his little like jump jet thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that the long chase sequence through the under the bridges yeah. and through the through the skyline. Yeah, and it's a fantastic sequence. But it's really well done. Yeah, those guys are except for the one who parachutes out at the end. Those guys are fucking dead. Oh yeah, no, he dead, there, dead. there is no shortage of collateral damage here, or <laughs> even the remotest concern from Spike about any of it. 
I mean, I, I, I feel like when he escapes the, the pharmaceutical, the, the Pfizer corporate offices, he, he also kills a couple of people. I believe so. I mean, yes. he, there's a lot of gunfire happening. And and he is commandeering things left and right and kicking and jumping and flying through everything. Yeah, and he wants to fuck really bad and yet does nothing to achieve that because he's constantly talking to her in the middle of getting thrashed about going on a date. It comes up again in, when they're both locked up and, again, nothing comes of it. Oh, yeah, well, and, and they're never going on a date because... It, her true love literally just said, hey, the only reason why I didn't kill everyone is because I remembered you. I'm dead. That is, that is a tremendous cock block. That's you, like cannot, a, you cannot follow that. No, that's like a Dikembe Mutombo level cock block. <laughs> Spike is done. It's a good thing he dies uh, not long after this. Oh, man. Like, he's had a bad couple of months, depending on whatever the actual timeline of this, because he definitely bleeds out at the end of the show, right? Like, he... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they kind of leave it ambiguous, but, yeah. I mean, he's he is mortally wounded, facing off with uh, with Vicious, right? Yeah. Yes. And, and that's it. I mean, I think that's kind of the point. It's, it's sort of the... Uh... God, what... What video game opened with that kind of like showdown sequence at the beginning? Was it Ninja Ninja Gaiden that did that? There's something where like two guys are fighting and just whoosh, kill each other simultaneously, and then hey, go play this game. It's gonna be fun. You're probably um, thinking of the American Beauty video game. Oh, that that's right, that's right. It's it's after the shower sequence, and then <laughs> <laughs> that's a movie that uh the Kevin Spacey boy fucking with. Uh, notwithstanding, didn't age well for me because I loved that movie when I was younger and I watched it recently. Like, I was dumb. It's the, it's the 90s problem, <laughs> which is I think at that we, we reached this sort of peak how far can we push things mentality. Yeah. So it's like, okay, hey, we're going to make this movie that's like this and it's going to be philosophically deep about Wes Bentley filming plastic bags and yeah, Kevin Spacey being like, unhappy in his marriage. Everybody's so arch. It's like yeah, yeah. Like, of course, Chris Cooper's a repressed homosexual. Like, of course, that's his motivation. It's it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a movie that was good because it was because uh, I think no one was probably thinking that that could be in a movie yeah. when when it came out. And now almost every movie has all of those elements, and they're done accurately and without melodrama. <laughs> Yeah, and if you're Chris Cooper and you're going after Kevin Spacey, you're fucking down, in my opinion. Like, he could do better. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, Spacey just started working out. Yeah. Cooper's definitely in good shape. Like, yeah, it's... It, 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 is, it, is, so, it is so kind of grossly homophobic because it assumes this thing of like, oh, well, of course, the, I, I, have to, I have to purge this demon by going after the person who I think is, is I don't know mocking me i i guess i mean it's yeah it's it is so, like it is smashing the gay panic button in a way i don't think they realized it does when they wrote it right yeah because again because i think they wrote it going oh man no one's ever done this before this is gold you know yeah. it was like it was like the the crash writer's room too right oh man the david cronenberg crash no no <laughs> the, matt, the matt dylan pulls uh Oh, you mean where they discover people are racist and you get an Academy Award? That yeah, yeah, you get an Academy awful. Award for, for pseudo-redeeming yourself. 
Oh man, I fucking hate that movie. Um, anything else you really want to talk about this besides how awesome the soundtrack is? And there's one song with lyrics in it that I can't remember, but I remember it being fucking hysterical. So uh, I I disagree about the soundtrack. Oh, I don't think it was good at all. I was oh, I was shit. I was annoyed with the uh, sort of drifting toward this atonal kind of pop music. When you wanted, you wanted the old steez, the jazz soundtrack. Yeah, you wanted tank. The, the show is all jazz and blues, and they and then they jump into this. Oh, hey, okay, so now we're doing this. I mean, okay, the 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 credit sequence montage where they basically like cruise around, and it's sort of like the opening to Sex in the City with Spike walking around, <laughs> yeah. and it's all set to some kind of you know uh, open source <laughs> pop song. Oh yeah, royalty free. Right, and I. It just it, it did not work for me, especially in contrast to how dramatic they're doing everything. To go to go so far to, to the left on drama and so far to the right on music, and be like, oh yeah, so merge this kind of bubblegum pop rock with the fact that this guy is going to commit genocide. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was a, an intentional choice. Maybe uh, it's like that the scene with Kick Ass where they play the banana splits. Oh yeah. Now, uh, did you you did you watch the dub or the other one? Okay. Well, I'm going to talk for a minute. Uh, there might have been a difference between the dubbed version and the uh, and the not dubbed version, and that could be part of it too, because the dubbed version of the music was bonkers to me. Uh, I even made a note all in caps. This soundtrack is weird. Oh. So uh, you're probably going to have to work edit around that. I was I, I right as you got up, I was going to ask you, did you did you watch the subtitled version? No, I watched the dub. It was oh. not editing around anything. So, so the dub. So they had the same. So they had the same music. Yeah, is the subtitled one? Well, I guess it would be different. Well, no, because it's it wouldn't be unusual for them to have an English language song. In an animation yeah. in Japanese. I was I was grasping at straws, hoping that there was some reason. But I what I said while you were gone was I have a note in my phone that is all in caps. This soundtrack is weird. I thought it was weird. <laughs> now why do you, why do you think they did that with something like so thematically tied to the show that they just went like completely out of left field? I didn't mind the soundtrack. Uh, I, like I thought it was arranged fine. Like, but it is like a a gigantic departure from what you would expect. I think they were trying to play it safe. They didn't know if they were going to be able to get an American audience for this. And I think that they probably went, oh, an American anime audience, small as it may be, isn't going to, isn't going to go for a jazz soundtrack. It's going to be too, it's going to be too weird. So I think they, I think they were trying to play it safe. They were like, okay, well, we'll make it poppier. It'll give the kids something to kind of connect themselves to so that it, it feels more like Saturday morning cartoons rather than, you know, a, a pretty self-serious film. Yeah, I mean, they had all the, the blood and the shooting and the rape covered, so they didn't right. want to skew them with the jazz music. Well, and okay, so uh, there's multiple times where Camel and Marlboro ads are in the background. Oh, yeah. Which I, which struck me, because I was like, oh, yeah. you you I mean, you never see those ads on American television, even, in live-action stuff, uh, let alone to see it in, a, in, a, in an animated film. 
Yeah, there's a, in that whole convenience store, there's a lot of brand name products. I think if you look really closely, there's a couple of them where like one letter switched, but it goes by so fast, you wouldn't oh. notice. So you're aware of what the product is. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, yeah. There was uh, when yeah when he goes to the bazaar, there was a there was a big uh, insensitivity moment where they're kind of doing the all Arabs are terrorists thing because he holds out a grenade that turns out to be a lighter, a cigarette yeah. lighter. I thought that was pretty uh, pretty on the nose. I think there's um, also um, like a like a black caricature doll or something. There's something like that that kind of floats by in the background. And again, that's I mean that's Japan for you with some of that stuff. Like yeah, because the 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 psychosis that I thought that I sort of picked up, and we'll and we'll see if this tracks as we as we watch other stuff. But the kind of globalization is mystery. That yeah. We we see so many we see a lot of cultures crammed together and all caricatured in that in that one sequence, and it seems to scream like, uh, yeah, the the world uh, everything is you can't understand anything now because everything's all mashed together. Yeah, it, the 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 vast weird future just happens to have like Middle Eastern people in it, and that's weird. Right. But I guess I guess when you have like such a homogenized culture, and I think Japan's like one of the most homogenous populations in the world, uh, at least like that has airplanes. Also, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that shit probably lends itself to that. I I would agree because it is it's it you know I think that is one of the themes of the of the film right is it it's really trying to put a put a point on how far outside of our existing culture can we go before we create monsters? How far outside of standard humanity can we go before we create monsters? There's just the, it, it, the movie is just loaded with fear because there's tech fear. There's the terrorist fear. There's, uh, I don't know the, the notion that the world is purgatory yeah, that that does get brought up a few times, especially from Vincent. Yeah, who I think like explicitly says it more than once. Right, <laughs> and and then the question of like, is there a reality? Um, which, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, obviously, with with great leaders and thinkers like Elon Musk out there, we're asking this question every day. You know, trying to figure out: are, are we in a simulation, or is it just the weed I smoked? You know, what what, yeah. what what's happening? That guy has a face that looks like it's not finished. It looks like you were working like a you had a three D design class that you had to take for some reason, and it was like <laughs> do a bust, and you were like, I got to C plus level and I'm done. Hey, if I'm not even gonna bother going back in and carving the rest of the details into this guy's face. If you're not careful, he's gonna call you a pedophile on Twitter. <laughs> is, that, is that his move? I haven't heard. That. Oh, oh, you didn't. Okay, because there was this whole thing with the when the when the Thai kids were trapped in the cave over yeah. the summer. And then Elon Musk like sent a submarine he designed out to help rescue them, and the lead, the British like lead rescue diver guy was like, "Hey, we don't, we don't really need this. It's not going to work in this situation." And so he kind of threw like a shit fit about it, and uh, and then the when they got the kids out, the guy, the the lead, uh, the lead diver guy was on TV and said, "Yeah, you know, we appreciate it, but it just, you know, it was kind of an expensive toy, and it's not really going to help us here." And so Elon Musk went on Twitter and was like, "You're a pedo." And it was this whole big thing. Like he's getting sued over this. <laughs> the man, the man is uh, at Kanye West levels of going off his nut right now. I, I have no idea. Oh Jesus Christ! Well, I mean, if they really wanted those boys, they should have just sent Brian Singer. He'd have cut all of them out. 
Oh, but he's but he's uh, he's helming that new feminist superhero movie. Oh God, yeah, it's like they're just cashing in all their uh, female intellectual property chips. Right, they're just like, hey, we'll, we'll we'll just make this, and oh yeah, whoever whoever did it, yeah, get Woody Allen on this project. Great, let's do it. <laughs> that would be something. <laughs> Woody Allen's Spider Gwen. Right, I mean, Terrible. Woody Woody Allen's Peter Parker in like 1960 might not have been too bad. You'd have to get somebody to d- the double for Spider Man though, because oh, that yeah. shouldn't happen. Yeah, no, he he would have he would have lined up with I think Stan Lee's intention really well. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, do we want? Are we doing ratings? I figure we should do some kind of rating. Yeah, I, I would like to rate it. I I kind of kept that in mind as I as I watched it. What a what. Should the category like what should the scale be like? Uh, let's see. Do we do a different one for every show? Do we give how many space cowboys is this? Let's no. Let's let's rate everything on number of waifus. Okay. How does that like sound? It. Yeah, let's do that. Um, and then should we, I mean I guess we got to pick a scale though, right? Should we do out of ten waifus? Yeah, a, a ten's easiest. Okay, great. And and right. decimals are allowed. Yes. Okay. We'll yeah, have. we can have. Yeah. yeah I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna do like a, a one. Repeat. Yeah, because if you come up with like a point one seven, I'm gonna have to ask you to explain how you arrived at that number. <laughs> oh, I've got spreadsheets. Get ready. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I. So I. I give this. I give this seven point five waifus. I think it was. Uh, you know, the action sequences were all as 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 we went over. They were well executed. They were beautiful. I mean, this this movie is is enrapturing in its action and and in those moments it's very propulsive it just it loses those points for uh vincent's being underdeveloped uh kind of the misuse of Faye and jet i think and then and then the fact that you know it this mystery could have been a little better woven to to make me feel like oh man that really paid off at the end rather than like oh yeah it totally makes sense i guess cool I'm going to give it six and a half waifus, not because it's bad, but because I'm disappointed in it. Like, I, and it's not fair. That's such I a mom that, thing to say. It's not because it, you're bad. It's because it's, you're disappointing. <laughs> it, the track record leading up to the movie would suggest that the movie would be a lot better. And maybe they try to make more of an action movie than, like, a character study, but the movie also was produced... Well after the show, so maybe just the writers had kind of grown tired of it and wanted to do something else. But it does meander a lot, and and it feels kind of purposeless, especially in the middle when, like like you've already mentioned a couple times, we could have spent more time with some of the other characters doing something. Yeah, I I I mean, I I would have loved if we if we did a little bit of a flashback on the war to see Vincent in action, Vincent Elector in action. And then you could have maybe had uh, some sort of 20-minute-long caper where Spike is pursuing a bounty that's a little more like the show and then gets wrapped up in this thing through that. Yeah, the bounty is almost incidental. Like, it's just, oh, we got the, we got to put the hot shot thing in there or the big shot thing in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I <laughs> and in that, oh, man. So I... I started making a note about how weirdly thin their legs looked while they were riding the horses, and then and then and then we we cut to you know a, a full screen long shot where it's like oh they're they're wearing horse costumes so yeah. that was perfect 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, th- there were there were a lot of yeah, you know it it fails a bit because it seems like it's kind of being fan servicey in points and also being cash grabby in points. It's like the show's been over for a couple of years, I think, at this point. Yeah, it doesn't add anything to the kind of experience of the show you know what i mean it's just kind of there yeah yeah it 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 continues their existences sort of meaninglessly it's honestly um because i enjoyed them pretty similarly actually Uh, is it like solo it is i was gonna say exactly that (laughs) it's like solo it's sort of it's fun if you if you really care about the property it's it's a it's a joy um but did you have to watch it? Not really. Did it add anything? Eh, not really. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, I guess we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I'm actually going to be on vacation next week, so I'm not going to be on any of the shows. But we'll get back at it the week after. Sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. I'll be, I'll okay. be ready to go, and uh, I'll look forward to you telling me what we're watching. Yeah, we'll we'll come up with it in the next day or two, and then we'll post something on Facebook, and you can watch along if you like. Or if you have any suggestions, please send them in. We will ignore them unless the suggestion requires zero effort, and then we will consider it. Right? <laughs> is uh, <laughs> is this gonna this is gonna be on on Molehole Radio? It is. Hey, great. Well, I'm I'm really happy to be part of the family. I mean, I I, I think you know, but I've I've listened to you guys on on Movie the Podcast a lot. Uh, I did I did the archive dive, and I'm all the way caught up with you. So. And actually, I want to see that uh, that weird uh, wolf movie that you watched on on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Oh, it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to see what you think. Yeah, I kind of. I mean, I listening to you and TJ talk about it, I was like, okay, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it sounds to me like the kind of movie where they're really requiring you to fill in a lot of blanks yourself to enjoy it, or yeah. to or to decide what it means. So it's kind of like a Rorschach test. Yeah, which know. normally I like, but it, it just something narratively is just doesn't work in the movie, and I can't put my finger on it. But yeah, I, yeah, if you watch it, let me know. We'll talk about it a bit at the end of the next show. Yeah, great. I, I could. I love Jeffrey Wright too, so I'll, I'll check it I'll out say. just for him. <laughs> All right, brother. All right. Well, hey, thanks. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. So hopefully it sounds good. Uh, if this is the first episode, so if the audio is a little weird, we'll fix it next time. So. Yeah, we'll fix it, and you guys will come back, and there's already, like, five million of you that are fans, so we're, right. we're doing great. And it's free. What do you want? Yeah, come on. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, three, two, one, it's jammed.